So good to have you here this evening. Let's uh, turn quickly to Revelation chapter 22. I think if I've measured this all right, I think we will conclude our study in the book of Revelation next week. So we're getting there one inch at a time, but we're getting there. But we need to take time to go through some of these passages. And I think you'll understand that uh, if we haven't rushed through it before, we ought not to have to rush the last chapter at all. So uh, I don't know about you, but you know, when you get into a passage or a, a, a section of scripture that, that talks about heaven, uh, it's like you just don't want to leave there. You kind of want to stay there and think of what God has already provided. Because although we haven't seen it with our eyes, it's there. If it's an eternal state, then it's always been there. And so when we deal with things of this nature at, at this time of, of, of our study of the Word of God, being that we are in the last book, the 66th book of the Bible, then we, we have to consider very strongly that God is... First of all, serious about us understanding what this is all about. He hasn't hidden anything from us other than what we can't understand right now, but we have plenty to understand in, uh, in 22 chapters of this book. So it could only encourage our hearts. But if there's one lesson that we are going to need to take home with us tonight, it is that the study of prophecy isn't all about knowing what's going to happen. It's about living our lives for Jesus Christ until it happens. Okay, can we all understand that? Uh, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating, you know, to have things out there in the world like movies left behind, you know, and, and all these things. And, and we hope that somehow that God would use that in some way. But more importantly is get beyond the fascination and realize that what God says is in His Word is true, and that in spite of just the excitement about it, we, we need to live our lives until that time happens or until that time comes for the glory of God and for the name of Jesus Christ, and then live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we enter into uh, this passage of chapters uh, 22, verses 6 to 11, we're already seeing heaven. We're seeing the beauty of it. And we are seeing the light of it. And we're seeing the very fact that the very light of all of heaven is God Himself. And that the temple, of God, the temple in heaven is God Himself. And that the strength of heaven is God Himself and Jesus Christ. And salvation and sustenance is all taken care of by God. But that sustenance of salvation is something that we can have today. And we need to have it so we'll understand what heaven's all about. So as we move on into this chapter, 
after realizing that there's not going to be any night there any longer, and the, the, the light of the sun, which as, as much as it's real to us today, it's, in heaven it's artificial. The Lord God gives light. And those who are in heaven will reign forever. Eternal. So we get into verses 6 through 11. We're going to read the verses and then we're going to study them tonight. And then he, speaking of the angel, and John is speaking, uh, then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Now that is something that we have to understand always. That when we read something in the scriptures, and I don't care whether it's in Revelation only or in all of Genesis to Revelation, all 66 books, these words are faithful and true. Because to some people it'll be too fa- it'll just be too too fascinating, too grand, in the sense of wow, this is amazing or incredible. I can't believe it. You better believe it. If God said it, then it's true. So there is that encouragement that's always given. These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. But notice this, because only one person can say this statement. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It's, it's as if Jesus says, let me interrupt here for just a minute. I guess he can interrupt anytime he wants. And he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this, or the words of the prophecy of this book. Keeping, guarding, protecting, and living. And then it goes on in verse 8, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. The implication, of course, is you worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Now remember, that's almost 2,000 years ago when that was, when that was given to John. And then in verse 11 it says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He is holy, or he who is holy, let him be holy still. And we can all, you know, we can all pretty much say, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, we're going to study that sometime tonight. So let's get a, a, a scenario here before us today. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the death process began. When Adam and Eve sinned, death came into this world. Sin and death. What were the two things that Jesus died on the cross to destroy? Sin and death, and of course hell as well. But sin and death both physical and spiritual. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when God said not to, that moment they died. They died spiritually, and they were going to die eventually uh, physically. They would have lived on and on in the presence of God 
in an eternal state. But death changed all of that. Sin changed all of that. Physically speaking, their bodies began to wear down and eventually they would return to the dust of the earth from which they were created. But spiritually speaking, they died and in that death, they were separated from the God who created them. And in that sin that was activated by the evil workings and temptations of the serpent has been passed on to all of mankind through all, of, uh, through all generations and through every generation. Again, all have sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned except one person that walked this earth. And that was Jesus himself. All have sinned. Make no mistake about that. There weren't any exceptions to the rule. All have sinned. But our loving God did not leave us to remain in that condition. For the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 22, he says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, speaking of those who have died. But he says, For since by man came death, by man, speaking of Jesus, the God-man, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So, God was not going to leave us in that condition. That is why uh, Genesis 3.15 is so important. Where, where God speaks directly to Satan or the serpent and talks about the seed of the woman. But now, I just mentioned that to know where we are, so we'll know where we are now. But now, in the, in the eternal state that we've been dealing with in chapter 22, there is no more sin and there is no more curse. And I, I, I best say it, there will be no sin and there will be no more curse when the eternal state comes. We will have perfect sinlessness, perfect sinlessness in heaven, perfect sinlessness in the new Jerusalem. There will be perfect government. God is on the throne and he's at the center of everything that is said and done. Perfect service unto the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We're not just going to stand around doing nothing. There will be things to do, but we will realize it's all going to be done perfectly before God. And there will be perfect blessedness in the eternal presence of our God. Perfect blessedness. Think about your day. You can say that God has blessed you. You can tell people, man, God blessed me today. He did this and he did this and he did this. Okay, that was one hour. What about the other 23? Oh, well, it was one hour earlier that, you know, I went through a little struggle and trial and blah, blah, you know. And, and then we realize, well, sometimes we get a, a, a blessing we really want to hold on to because most of the day has been stinky. You, you all understand that. As long as we're on this earth, there will be blessedness to the, to the believer, but it's not perfect blessedness. We can say, you know, God has changed my life and, and I'm bound to heaven, yes. And we can be confident in that. Scriptures teach us that we can be confident in the work of Jesus Christ for us. But we're still going through trials. And a lot of times, even though those trials, we, we don't see them as blessings, sometimes they are, but most of the time there's hurt and there's pain, there's tears and there's, that's why we see in heaven, there's no more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow, perfect blessedness. 
being that we don't know if there's going to be a 24-hour day or not because there's not going to be any night in heaven. Somebody's going to say, hey, were you blessed today? Man, all day. There's not going to be a half of, uh, any time when I'm not going to be blessed. And I can tell you this, if a person ever says, you know, I'm really bored today, that's not a blessing. When we, when we start putting our minds on how we feel about, you know, eh, I don't know what to do, or you feel lazy or whatever, I'm not saying that laziness is all that bad, is it? Well, yes, it is. The Bible tells us you not to be lazy. So all of these things, you know, we, we struggle with and we wrestle with, but not in heaven. It's going to be a totally different time in a totally different place. Perfect blessedness in the eternal presence of our God. We will be with our Lord in the presence of His glory, with His name on our foreheads, is what we saw last time. And what does that mean? It tells us that we are His forever. He has stamped us. He says, you're mine and you're mine forever. So you're not going anywhere. We wouldn't even want to go anywhere. You're not going to be bored in heaven. So as we enter into this next section of chapter 22, we're presented with the closing remarks now to the entire prophecy. And there's a lot of closing remarks because there's different people. There's an angel, there's Jesus, there's John. You know, everybody's giving closing remarks here, okay? So that's where we're at in this particular passage. But through the Apostle John, we have been given access to an ending and renewing world. And eventually we have seen where everything enters into the eternal state. But from John's time till now, in the book of Revelation, we have seen a panoramic view of the church throughout its history, its importance to the times of the Gentiles. This is what we've studied for the most part from chapter 4 on. And its removal from this earth to allow the Lord to complete His dealings with the nation of Israel and with the unbelieving world. So this is, what, this is where we've been through this, this whole time in the book of Revelation. And to confirm both the truth and the comprehension of all the previously given prophecies, the angel tells John that the words of this book are worthy of our trust and are completely true and reliable. So we look at verse 6 once again. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. So as, as incredible as all these things are that John has written down, the message is totally reliable. The message is totally reliable. The Word of God is, first and foremost, faithful. It is faithful. It is trustworthy. You can trust it. It will come to pass according to God's plan and according to God's timing. I can tell you this, if, if you have an open Bible and an open newspaper, you watch the news and what's going on today, I can tell you, if you truly believe God's Word, you know it's being fulfilled right now. When Jesus said in the, in, in, in the last days, there's going to be all kinds of deception, that's going on. When He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, what have we seen? What do we see every day on the news? When we see talks of, of, of famines and, and, and uh, uh, natu- we call them natural disasters going on, that's going on a lot now. And what about, uh, you know, these, these, uh, these diseases? It talks about that. Jesus t- touches upon every one of these things. Plagues, he calls them. What about this Ebola scare that's going on? You think that's just a happenstance? It's all a part of what's going on because the Jesus said in the last days, keep an eye on these things because they're going to be happening. 
And they are. God's Word is true. It is faithful and it is true. In other words, it is genuine and it is authentic. From Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 to Revelation chapter 22 verse 21, we can place our trust in God's Word. Whatever God has said, He is not only able to bring it to pass, but He will, but he will bring it to pass. He's not only able to, but He will. If He has said it, He's going to do it. Let's just, let's just accept that because that's what... This is what the angel is saying. God's word is faithful and it is true. Can we have confidence in God's word today? Without a doubt, we can have confidence in God's word today. Consider, if you will, Paul's exhortation to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Listen to what Paul says. He says to Timothy, now remember, I always like to mention this, that this is Paul's last letter written before he dies, before he is martyred for the faith. And, and he writes it to his, to his son in the faith, Timothy. He loves Timothy with all of his heart. And he's, and he's committed the trust of the gospel and the word of God to Timothy. And he says this, he says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Well, much of that, of course, he learned from Paul. But also he's learned it through the power of the Holy Spirit. But let's go on. He goes on and says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Remember his mother and his grandmother were the ones that brought him up in the Word of God. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, All Scripture. And he writes this to one who grew up in the Scriptures. But he is... is, He's giving an impacting statement, not only to Timothy, but to us. And he says, all Scripture. He doesn't say some of it. Like today, we have these, quote-unquote, you know, scholars and, quote-unquote, you know, experts and, in, 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 you know, a, a cemetery professor or seminary professors. I'm sorry. <laughs> they, you know, professing to be wise, they become fools. And they're going around saying, you know, well, the Word of God. You know, we've studied all these manuscripts and we study all these books about the books about the books about the manuscripts. And, you know, we've come to realize that, you know, there, there's some good in the Bible, but that's not all true. Oh, may God have mercy on their souls. Forever doubting one bit what God has given to us in the Scriptures. And this higher criticism that started 150, almost 200 years ago, is, is, is killing the church today, in a sense. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's impacting that way. And, and he says, no, he's, uh, Paul is saying all Scripture. All Scripture. At that time, what was all Scripture? Mostly it was the Old Testament. Mostly it was the, Hebrews, uh, the Hebrew uh, Scriptures. But he says all Scripture is given by inspiration, which means it is God-breathed. It is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, and may I, may I add that the woman of God as well, but that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
We can be equipped if we stay in the Word of God, if we trust it, if we love it. You know, a thought came to mind today as I was preparing and getting all of this ready, just, you know, getting the PowerPoint thing ready. And, and I started thinking how, how, how precious. I, I love to be with you all on a Wednesday night. I, 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 I look forward to it. And I remember a time before I was a pastor that whenever we had Bible study, I looked forward to it. I wanted to learn more about Jesus. I wanted to learn more about God. I wanted to learn more about His Word. I wanted to learn more about His power, about His grace, about His mercy, about my uh, uh, involvement. What, what is it that God wants of me? What's required of me? What's required of us as believers in Jesus Christ? I wanted to know it. I didn't go to church or I didn't go to Bible study. You know, kind of, well, the thing you do, you know. No, I was excited. We should be excited about coming. We should be excited about getting up on Sunday morning or Saturday night when we come to church, whatever night it is that we choose to come. But we should be excited about it. Can't wait to get there. Can't wait to worship the Lord. Can't wait to just honor God because He's worthy of it. I can't wait for that. that make, it makes me young again. Because sometimes I'm walking down the day, you know, oh man, God, this is a long, Lord, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly. You know, hurry up right now. Because, yeah. But, 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 you know, when I know that we're going to be together, I'm so excited. I love God and I love you and I love the people that love God and the church and, and I just, just love it. I don't want to be anywhere else. Because I know where I'll be for eternity. And I want you to be there too. We need to be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have things to do before the Lord comes. I think of this this verse of Scripture in Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, His way is perfect. But look at this, the word of the Lord is proven. That word there in the Hebrew means to be tried and tested. God's word has been proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. God's word, you can trust God's word. It's been tried, it's been proven and tested. And of course, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, we should learn this and know it, for the word of God is living, it's alive. It's powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. I've always loved that, that description of, of the word, a two-edged sword, because with one side, with one of those blades, the Word of God can cut us into conviction to open our hearts so, I, so we can see what it is that we need to lay before God. You know, On the other, the other side of that two-edged sword is the, is the, is the part that heals. He cuts to open, and then he closes to heal. There's no other word. There's no other sword like that. We have it. It's God's word. And then it says, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you know, you you can kind of go over this thing about the division of the soul and the spirit. But here's the, the here's the real strong point about that: is that listen, God wants us to be spiritual people, not soulish people. The soul is really, you know, it's, it's about us. It's, it's about our flesh, in a sense. The dividing of, the, of either is to discern where we are to stand with God, 
He wants us to be spiritual people because He made us alive in Christ. Remember, we were dead spiritually from the garden. But you read Ephesians chapter 2, and He made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith and that. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Man, we're alive now, so we need to know the division of what we are as, as soul and spirit. There is that dividing. God wants us to live by the Spirit. He wants us to walk in the Spirit. He wants us to be spiritual people. Now, now I don't mean, you know, like show up, oh, I'm so holy, I'm so righteous. No, no, no. Spiritual, spiritual people actually know what we're supposed to be. We're, you know, we're a bunch of just, uh, you know, sinners. That's what we are. We're sinners, but saved by grace. And we know that we, we have the power through the Holy Spirit to walk in a totally different way than we used to before. We are discerners now through the Word of God of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we need to walk that way. All, all in all, the Word... The words of this prophecy, Revelation, the apocalypse, the words of this prophecy are reliable, infallible, and can be trusted to the uttermost. And as John is reminding us of the suddenness of these events, when he says to show his servants the things which, which must shortly come to pass, Jesus then breaks in to remind us that he's coming quickly. All right, you want to know I'm coming quickly? Here's verse 7. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this, uh, the words of the prophecy of this book. I am coming quickly. Now, some people would say, "Well, does that mean soon?" Because if it was, then two thousand years ago, when John said, "Hey, Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly," they were ready. They were expecting him then. Were they wrong? No. They weren't wrong. God wants all His people always to expect Him at any moment. You never know when the bridegroom's coming, so you've got to be ready. That's the whole idea. So, to those who remember, the theme of the book of Revelation is stated here in this verse, Behold, I am coming quickly. Go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, and even... They who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He's coming. Jesus is coming. Go back to Revelation 22. Look at verse 12. In Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. You read down toward the end of the chapter. One more time we see it. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. It is of utmost importance to understand the Greek word for the English word quickly. Sometimes, as I said, we understand the word to mean soon, but the word is take in the, in the Greek, and, and, and it means speedily or rapidly or suddenly. That's what that word means. When he comes, he comes quick. When he comes, he comes speedily. When he comes, he comes suddenly. Have we not been told that when, when we're told, beware because he comes as a thief in the night? How do the thieves, how do thieves come? Take their time going through your house, eating from the refrigerator. Do they do that? When they come at night, man, they come quick, right? 
They come quick because, you know, somebody can come at any moment or your guard dog is going to be right on top of it. I mean, it's never done slowly. I mean, that's, that's the idea. You have to get the idea that it, it's coming quickly. When our Lord does come for His own, it will be with lightning speed. In fact, we get an understanding of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you remember this in verses 51 and 52, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Well, he's telling you a mystery, which was a mystery before, but once he reveals it, it's not a mystery anymore. So he says, Behold, I I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, there have been some churches that have been very, you know, very imaginative. You know, when they they put a sign over their... uh, over their nursery, this is what they put. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. They always use scripture to put that over the door. But that's not what this means. We shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment. And how fast? In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. But in the twinkling of an eye, and that's an interesting thing. I did some research on that. I, I decided I didn't want to even share it with you. Because one guy was saying, there's a wink, there's a blink, and there's a, a twink. And he says, they've done studies. I said, I don't care. But eventually, as you look at the word twinkling in the, in the Greek, it, it just, it's really talking about the speed of the eye, the, the blink. So it, it's really more the blink, but that's the twinkle. And others said, well, the twinkle is, you know, the speed of light, uh, you know, and how fast the eye sees it. Therefore, it's, 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 uh, it's as fast as the speed of light. Let's just face it. It's fast and really fast. I'm not going to give you any numbers about it because before, before I give you the numbers, your eyes have already twinkled about 25,000 times. So we're not going to worry about that. Okay. So his appearing then, the appearing of Jesus Christ when he comes for the church, will be with such suddenness that it will catch unawares all who are unprepared. Just read Matthew chapter 25 when it talks about the, the ten virgins. Five were ready, five were not. We have to be ready. But the question is, will you be prepared? Will you be prepared? One important factor in answering this question is the second statement that Jesus makes in verse 7 when he says, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Think about that. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Too often, people look at God's word and at prophecy, and and this is what I said earlier, this is the point that we want to take home with us tonight. Too often people look at God's Word and the prophecy with an inquisitive heart, wanting to know and only substantiate facts and the accuracy of of certain prophetic events, whether they're going to be fulfilled and how. But that is not all that prophecy is all about. Really, that's not what what, what prophecy is about. We are not only to hear, to listen, to study, and to examine. We are to keep the things that are written down for us. We are to keep them. We are to guard them. And we are to do them. God's Word is here for us to draw close to God in our daily devotion and for us to walk with Him. For us to walk with Him. God in His great love for us has shown us what is going to transpire down the road and now... We must choose what to do with that information. 
What are we going to do with that information that we've been with that we've been getting in the book of Revelation? What are we going to do with it? Well, one perspective that Peter gives us in dealing with prophetic events is clearly stated in his second letter to the church when he writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And I, I know that we've covered this at times uh, in our study, but let's, let's look at it again. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, as we talked about suddenly and quickly, uh, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. By the way, the day of the Lord, and, and again, that's not a specific day as we've talked about many times, the day of the Lord is really that time that begins really after the rapture of the church. And the day of the Lord is that extension of time that God is going to deal with the sin of, of, uh, of the unbeliever and uh, those who have rejected God. And of course, in that, he is, he is dealing with Israel to uh, purify them through the fires of this tribulation. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. So you're talking about the end of that day of the Lord. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. Notice, therefore, what is therefore, therefore? It's there to tell us this is the summation of that thought. And the summation is because all these things will be dissolved, all these things are going to happen what manner of persons ought you to be now in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for. Now, here's the other thing. We are to look for and hasten the coming of the day of God. But how? By living right, you know, in holy conduct and godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But let's go on. We, we usually stop there, but let's go on. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, we should be looking forward to them. But notice he says, Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Which means, again, what manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? Again, we must realize how we are to be living our lives knowing that Jesus can come at any moment. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. We might be waiting, we might be saying, as I said earlier, Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But His long-suffering is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, which we've studied many times, as also in all of his epistles, speaking in them of these things, speaking of the coming of the Lord, in which are some things hard to understand. Yeah, they were hard to understand 2,000 years ago, because they, they, had to, they had to deal with totally different issues. Now we're seeing everything happen. And then he says, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. And I can tell you there's a lot of scripture twisting going on today. And there's a lot of that going on in the churches to say, well, you know, Jesus isn't really coming like some of those crazy weirdos that believe in the rapture of the church and all of that kind of stuff, you know, are telling you right now. No, Jesus is, all, you know, the kingdom of God is already here. 
Can anybody tell me how we know that the kingdom of God is already here? All I can tell you is it's not here right now. It's not here like he has described because all you got to look at is the condition of the world as it is. Is the world in a condition where God, where Jesus is on the throne? No. He may be on the throne of our hearts. Praise the Lord for that. But he has specifically said, when I land my feet upon the Mount of Olives, I'm going to go through that gate in Jerusalem, the book of Zechariah, and then I'm going to sit on the throne of David in Zion. Is that too hard to understand? But people twist the scriptures because they don't want to believe that. What they're saying is, we don't believe in the supernatural. We, we don't believe that God can do all of that kind of stuff. Really? The very fact that we're breathing right now, I, I attribute that to His supernatural power. The very fact that we are breathing and living right now, I attribute to God's grace and power. Well, let's get back to Revelation 22 as this tremendous vision is given to John. He once again did something that he had been corrected of before. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Because uh, there, did I miss a verse? Yeah, I think I missed a verse. Let's, let's go back here. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. So beware, okay? Don't, don't just, I mean, stay f- steadfast in the word of God. That's the point. And grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. I missed a couple of verses here. And grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Okay, let's go, now let's go to uh, Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9. John says, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Now, I, I, I really appreciate John's being honest here. And the fact of the matter is he's already done this once. Chapter 19, we'll see that in a moment. But then it says, And he said to me, the angel... See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and of those who keep the words of this book. You worship God. So, again, this is so important for us to understand, and it is similar to what transpired in Revelation 19, verse 10, where John did the very same thing. Let's look at that. Just go back uh, there. It's a long verse, so I, I split it up. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So John was overwhelmed twice now. John was overwhelmed at what he saw and bowed before an angel in worship. The angel reminded the apostle that only God is to be worshipped. Now, that was, a, that was a, a knowledge that was given to the children of Israel from the very beginning. And even before the children of Israel, there was really only one God to bow down to. And there always has been only one God. And the angel tells John that both of them together, the angel and, and John, are our fellow servants along with the prophets as well as those who keep the words of this book. We don't worship each other. You don't worship me because I'm an angel. 
Some people get into angels, man. Got the guy the angels all over the place. Got to be careful of that. Don't worship the angels. The angels are servants, just like we're servants. A strong reminder to us all is that no created being should ever be worshipped in any way. Now we got a lot of people worshipped nowadays. Got a lot of people being worshipped. Rock stars and movie stars and you name it. Sports stars. But what happens when they fall? And they become fallen stars. Ever seen a falling star? You're gone out at night to look for one and sometimes you see them. You see that. And then all of a sudden the light goes out. How interesting. A falling star. If kept to themselves, never shines again. You come to Jesus, you get new light. But you won't be a star. And you won't be an angel. But you will be the light of the world, as Jesus said. So, this is to be in direct contrast with Jesus, who receives the worship of angels and of men. Jesus can and should receive worship because he is the Son of God and God the Son. In Hebrews 1 verse 6, we're told, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Speaking of God, the Father, referring to the the Psalm, Psalm 110. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. In Matthew 8 verses 2 and 3, it says, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you, can, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus didn't say that, you know what, don't worship me. Remember how, how many times I've told you that people are, are saying today that Jesus never, never claimed deity for himself? And I tell you every time that there are so many places where Jesus himself said he was deity, but people need to understand the word of God, they don't understand it. Here's another point. Only deity can accept worship. If Jesus wasn't to be worshipped, he should have said to this, this person, this leper, don't worship me. I'm just the son of God. No, he accepts the worship because the father said, even the angels will worship. So we know who he is then. We know that he is deity. So behold, a leper came and worshipped him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now Jesus did the cleansing and the healing because he had the power to, because of who he was, the Son of God and God the Son. By the way, I know that lately, in the, a couple of weeks ago in the paper, there was, in the, you know, the Roman Catholic Church was, was, was I, f- I forget the beatification, I think, of a, a certain... Uh, I think she was a nun, an American nun, I believe. I don't remember her name, but I, I just noticed that, you know, they're, they're trying to lay, raise her up to sainthood, you know, because supposedly she healed people. Well, we all know what the scriptures tell us. None of us heal anybody. Jesus heals. 
and God heals. And besides, the Bible very clear that those who love Jesus Christ, those who have come to Jesus, you're saints. But let's get let's get the word of the wording straight here. We don't make saints of people. God makes us saints. The, the word saints me, simply means to be set apart unto God. To be set apart unto God. So, I, I understand people are very touchy about that. But you know we have to we have to be clear and we have to be right. And then in and uh, uh, let's let's go on here. I'm getting losing my time here. Matthew fourteen thirty three. Remember when, when, when Jesus goes out uh, to his disciples on the water and he's walking on the water and you know, the, the sea's all over the place and, and the boat's going this way and that way and, and he says, come out to me. Jesus calls to all of his disciples and who went out? Peter. Peter was the only one that went out. But then, you know, he had, as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he didn't sink. But, but as soon as he put his eyes on the storm and on the, on the, on the raging sea, he started to sink and he cried out to, to the Lord, Lord, help me. And Jesus rescued him. And, and, and you know, we, this was an interesting thing because he was the only one that got out of the boat. But you know what he told Peter? He said, oh, ye of little faith. Oh, ye of little faith. There was a boat full of guys that should have heard that. But here's the thing. He walks back to the boat. And they see this. Uh, so that's setting up what's, what's to be said here. Then those who were in the boat, the disciples, came and they worshipped Him. They worshipped Jesus. And they said, Truly you are the Son of God. See, they understood what Son of God meant. It didn't mean that He was lesser than God. He was God. And they worshipped Him. And then when you go to John chapter 9 and you read the, you read the beautiful story of, the, of the, the, the person who had been blind since birth. And, and it's, you know, we didn't want to read the whole chapter. It's a long chapter there. But, but Jesus actually, you know, the, here's this guy from birth, you know, blind. And Jesus goes and spits on the ground and gets his, makes his mud pack and puts it on his eyes. And then he, the guy can't see Jesus. So he tells him, he says, go to the pool of Siloam and, and get your eyes, you know, rinse out your eyes, you know. So he's, he's taken down to the pool of Siloam. And he didn't know who this was that did this, but when he, when he get, washes his eyes, he can see. So he's praising God. And, and uh, you know, so he's questioned now by the, by the scribes and the Pharisees and, and all. And, and, and of course, it was on the Sabbath. Jesus did it on purpose. He loved to do things on purpose. He did everything on purpose to show, to show that he could do it. And to rightly understand, to rightly give the understanding of what the, the, the Sabbath was all about. But they got all upset. Oh, well, who's this doing this on the Sabbath and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, all that said and done, when you read the story, it gets down to verse 35. And Jesus heard that they cast him out. They cast him out because he, you know, he continued to say, this, this, this has to be. This has to be. A very special servant of God. And everybody else knew that it was about Jesus. And they, they cast him out. They cast him out of the synagogue. And when he had found him, when Jesus found him, he said to him, Do you, do you believe in the Son of God? And, and the man answered and said to him, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And I love his response. Then he said, Lord, I believe. He saw Jesus. He said, Oh, I believe. I believe. 
the excitement of having your eyes open to Jesus being your salvation. My encouragement to you all tonight is to redirect your focus to the person and the work of God and of Jesus Christ. Redirect your focus to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Get your eyes off of everything else and onto Jesus. Because you don't worship the servant, you don't worship the instrument, you worship the master, you worship God, and you worship the Son of God. Let's move on. So we can finish Revelation 22, verse 10. It says, And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. It is amazing to me the number of people who don't read the book of Revelation and the number of churches that don't teach the book of Revelation simply because they say it is a sealed book. It is too hard to understand. It's too difficult to understand. So let's move on. We don't need to read it. It's just too, too weird. They might as well say that because that's what they're, they, they try to be nice about it, but they're just saying it's too weird to them. Well, folks, we've been through two, over two years in the book of Revelation. Anybody think it's weird? Not by, not, not a, not a, not a iota of weirdness in it because it's all been happening. We see the world in the condition that Jesus has described it. So is it the fact that most of these people and these teachers and pastors just don't think that the Revelation is a book that they should be, that they should be messing with? Well, you know, they might even cite this verse in Daniel. Listen to this verse in Daniel chapter 12 verse 9. By the way, when we finish the book of Revelation, start reading the book of Daniel because we're going to be studying that when we finish. Daniel 12, verse 9, And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. But notice something. There is a specific time. He says, They will be sealed until the time of the end. When is the time of the end? When did the time of the end begin? When Jesus was here after the resurrection, you read the book of Hebrews chapter 1 where it says that God in times past, you know, spoke to us through the prophets, has now spoken to us by His Son. And He's talking about the last days. So folks, listen, we're, we're, in, the, we're in the last days and been in the last days a long time. So notice, it's closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So the only good problem is that we are now living in the last days and have been since the, re- the resurrection of Jesus. And hence the angel tells John, don't seal the book. Don't, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time now is at hand. Don't seal it. So what is the name of the revelation of Jesus Christ? The revealing. That's what it is. We've said this all along. It is the revealing. It is not the hiding. Now, time and again, we see, for for example, Paul in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1 says, Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, are we living in latter times today? Much more latter than there was back then, but the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. These things are happening. I'm only pointing this out because of when he says the latter times. Paul in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of all kinds of other stuff, but not the Lord. 
And then 2 Peter chapter 3, going back to 2 Peter for just a moment, verses 3 and 4, Peter says, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. In other words, oh, those things aren't going to be different. Everything's going to be the same. Where's the promise of His coming anyway? Well, that's what we're hearing from all of these guys who went to cemetery. I mean, seminary. I keep mess- messing those things up. I'm sorry. Well, because, you know, they say, well, you know, they're scoffing. You guys believe that God can is going to come and take the church out of here, like if we're special? Yeah, because he made us special. We're not special, but the Jesus that we're going to be married to is. We're the bride, he's the bridegroom. And he loves his bride. He can do whatever he wants. So where do we get off saying, oh, well, you know, the church has to suffer. It suffered for 2,000 years. We suffer to this day. We suffer so much more when we think of those brothers and sisters that are really going through, you know, the, the persecutions of the world today. We suffer along with them. This isn't, uh, this isn't just, you know, some weird way of trying to escape. Besides, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke says, this is how he's going to escape us. <laughs> this is how he's going to rescue us. Is Jesus going to rescue us? Yeah. What's wrong with that? We're his people. So, anyway, people all kinds of, have all kinds of ways of trying to get around the truth. And here's the truth. There are those who are going to scoff. But the exhortation that follows in verse 11 has puzzled many people. So let's look at that and we'll close with this. It says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Can anybody make hide or hair of that? Well, let's try. Because those who do wrong and are vile and filthy seem to be encouraged to do so. Right? From that text. They seem to be encouraged to do so. And those that do right and are holy, they seem to be encouraged to continue to do so as well. But the point here is not to condone what is evil, but to point here... Uh, but, the, but to point out that if people do not heed this prophecy, listen, if people do not heed this prophecy, they will continue in their wickedness. They will continue in their wickedness. On the other hand, those who do heed the prophecy will continue to do what is right. Relatively speaking, the time of the Lord's return is near. <laughs> And no major changes in mankind's conduct can be expected. There will always be evil in this world until Christ changes all of that when he comes. The thought may also be that since Jesus is coming so suddenly, there won't be time for change. Well, there will be no time for last minute repentance, but there is time now. There is time now. If what you have read and studied in the book of Revelation hasn't changed you in any way, there really isn't much hope, is there? If it hasn't changed you, there isn't a whole lot of hope. There's still hope. But if it hasn't changed you, there isn't much of it. 
If the warnings of the book of Revelation are not sufficient enough, there's no more that the Lord has to say. Think about it that way. It is the hopelessness of the final state of the wicked that we are seeing here in verse 11. The conditions of both the evil and the good will be fixed forever. But there is still hope now. There is still hope. There is still hope to turn to Jesus Christ. I want to close with Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And I want you to write this down. I want you to mark it in your Bibles. I want you to read it. And I want you to... Mem- uh, I want you to meditate upon it. Paul said in Romans 13, do this knowing the time. Now, we've got just a few minutes, so let me, let me turn there, Romans chapter 13. So I want you to understand the context as well. What Paul has been saying in chapter 12 about the gifts that have been given to the church. What he says in chapter 13 when he says, Oh, no man anything but to love one another, verse 8 of chapter 13. Oh, no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That's the foundation of this statement. So then he says, and do this. In other words, do this. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Love one another. Knowing the time. Do you know the time in which you live? If you have studied the book of Revelation for any amount of time with us over the past two and a half years, you realize you should know the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. It is high time to awake out of sleep. Much of the church is still asleep. They go, they come, they come, they go, they go to church, they do whatever. And a lot of times, in in many cases, they go to churches where they don't even open the Bible. And if they do, they only open to certain passages because they don't really want to be challenged by the rest of the Scriptures. We've been challenged from Genesis to Revelation. But it has made us more sharp. It has sharpened us. God wants us sharpened. He says, now it is high time to wake out of sleep for now. Notice the emphasis on the word now. Now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Again, living in holy conduct and godliness. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. 
Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. You know those three areas in people's lives today that, that seem to just take people down? The effects of what is put into the body, the effects of what is, uh, is, is, uh, is put into the mind with lewdness and lust, the, the sexual issues, strife and envy, the, the, the selfishness of people today to live only for themselves and want only for themselves. But put on, he says, take those things off, cast those things off, walk properly and put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a garment. As a matter of fact, that's what exactly what that means in the Greek. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a garment of righteousness and make no provision for the flesh. Don't give the flesh any opportunity to fulfill its lusts. Don't let the flesh get any opportunity to fulfill its lusts. The flesh will try hard. Then the enemy gets involved. Read a little section of, of James chapter 1 where it talks a little bit about you know, that progression of sin, where sin begins and where it ends because it only leads to death. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming. Let's put him on. I even have a little time to read that passage to you, so I'm going to do it real quick here. So I can find it. James chapter. It's right after Hebrews. James chapter 1. Verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with any evil. Neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And James says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Do not err in that. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness or variation or shadow of turning. So remember that. Remember that. Now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now is the day of salvation. Let's get right. Or as I said to somebody the other day with an old statement that we used to make back in the early 70s in the Jesus movement, get right or get left. Got it? Y'all understand that? Get right or get left. Let's get right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be stirred in our hearts tonight about your word. About our lives to be lived out in faith and in trust in your word and in you.
and in the power of your Holy Spirit. These are times that we need to examine ourselves to see that we're in the faith. We pray, Father, that you shine that light strongly upon us so we do not miss one thing of what you want us to know and how you want us to live. I bless you and I praise you because you have kept us through thick and thin, Lord. You've kept us through every trial, through every up and every down, through every struggle, through every trial, through every victory and triumph. And so I thank you so much for your patience, your long-suffering, and your care for us. Set our spirits free that we might worship Thee, that we might praise Thy name. Let all bondage go and let deliverance flow. Set, Lord, our spirits free to worship Thee. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.